0: This morning, if you're one of our guests, we want you to know that you are most welcome. We're glad that you're with us. So, welcome to Conroe Bible Church. Um, just a few quick announcements and some information to pass your way. First is, thank you so much to you guys that came out Saturday to help with the mobile market. Um, there were lots of opportunities to pray for people and to hand out food um, to folks in our community that need it. Um, so thank you for teaming up to be a blessing um, and to extend uh, the uh, the love of Jesus uh, beyond the doors of our church building. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, The couple's checkup, couple checkup is available still through the rest of this month. If you had not had the opportunity to take advantage of the couple checkup, the information is in the family connection emails that have gone out all month. Um, And if you haven't gotten one of those and are interested in participating in the couple checkup, it is an assessment that you and uh, your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, I guess I'll talk from the perspective of a boy. I'm not recommending unhealthy relationships, take this, but married um, and dating couples are welcome to take this. And uh, it, it is going to assess how you communicate, um, how you interact with one another, how you understand one another, and, uh, and help you with a discussion guide on how to make your uh, relationship, uh, how to improve your relationship. If you're interested in that and don't have the uh, information from the email, please come see me and I will get that for you. Um, I'm happy to help with that. Also, um, two dates coming up this week to be mindful of is October 22nd is game night here at the church. Has anybody ever been to game night? Okay. Out of five, scale of one to five, how fun is it? I heard a 10. On a scale of one to five, how... um, How rowdy is it? A five. Okay. So show up on the 22nd, 7 p.m. up here at the church. Um, Things are going to get salty, it sounds like, but it is fun. So salty and fun. Um, and then the next day, the 23rd, uh, that morning at 9, we're having a workday up here at the church. You can sign up for that um, on Church Center um, to let them know because lunch is provided that, that day. Um, and there are a list of things that we're going to try to tackle uh, that day up here at the workday. care too. Child care is also provided. So that's all I've got. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, we will begin our time of worship. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have uh, to come together as a family of believers and look to you. Father, I pray this morning you would be honored by our worship and that you would be among us, um, moving in our hearts to become more like you. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you because we have what we need in you we thank you that while we were lost while we were sinners that you gave yourself for us father thank you for calling us children for calling us those that you love we ask this morning that you would teach us through the truth of your word that you would make us more like your son Jesus we pray in his name amen you guys can have a seat We uh, we want to dismiss our Sunshine Kids Club right now, K through five. If you're a guest with us and have a kiddo, K through five, you can take them through these double doors and get them checked in, and then come back and join us.
1: Good morning, everyone. As the kids are exiting, I did. Uh, I think uh, Chris mentioned our our. Uh, Beyond Our Doors event yesterday, so uh, really excited to have—we had over 30 uh, people from the church there, and so I really appreciate all that that were there. Um, Thank you for serving. Uh, Also, uh, Philip Davison is here, and many of you have been praying for him, and he's here back— back from his fight with cancer and surgery and learning to walk and everything else. Um, and so we've really been praying for you. It's very exciting to see you here and with hair and, and all that all that going on. So we're real excited. I know Rhonda's beaming, so I know how she feels about it as well. So we really, really. So um, maybe don't tackle them afterwards, but um, one at a time encourage him afterwards. Um, so I know many of you have been praying and encouraging him outside of these these walls. So uh, we're, we're excited to see you come back. So I did want to ask one question, a little public confession time. Who was, we're going to figure out who was the most recently pulled over by a police officer in the room. <laughs> Anybody in the past week? Lee back there, not, not in the past week. Well, you may still win. Anybody else the past week? Week before that, the last month, some people just, got, we got one over here. All right, we got a few in the back, right here, Nate. If your dad was up here, would you, would you still claim that? Oh, was he in the car? No. Okay, he may have gotten pulled over this week. We don't know, maybe he's the winner. Yeah, so uh, we all uh, go through a variety of feelings when we see the lights in the rearview mirror, right? Some of us, it was like, oh yeah, I kind of expected that. You kind of knew maybe it's a habit um, and it happens regularly. Or you you passed him and you knew it. You're like, no, yep, it was going way over. I knew this was coming. Maybe you get really nervous, don't know what to do. Maybe you'd never been pulled over before and you're just like, I don't know where to put my hands. I don't know. I always wonder, do I roll the window down now? you know, get out and greet them halfway, kind of be considerate. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, they'd rather you not do that, I think, come running out of the car. Um, and of course there's all, you know, on a more serious note, there's the cultural aspects of, of your history and your family's history with police officers. And maybe that, uh, you know, worries and, and things come through your mind. And, and, and so we all react differently to uh, that brush with authority. Um, because of what maybe that authority represents for you. Um, and, but, but really, when you, when you think about the police officer itself, he's just, he's just a person, a man or a woman. It's not so much that we respect or submit to their authority because of the person, right? It's, it's the law that they represent. It's the, the government entity behind it. I remember the first time I was pulled over, a young driver, uh, in, in, as many of you know, I was, grew up in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, I had a little 86 Nissan pickup that I drove, that was one of my first cars, and, um, and, and so I was driving one night, and I got pulled over, and, and it's the same thing, when it's your first time, you really don't know what you're supposed to do, you're not sure what the etiquette is, and uh, and so she was a, it was a female police officer. She came up, she had this, it's at nighttime. So she has the big, huge flashlight, which makes it worse. And she's, can't see. And uh, well, I had, I had a front headlight out and I think that was the initial uh, reason she pulled me over. Um, and so she's, she, she I rolled down the window. I didn't have a button, you roll down the window. Um, and in fact, I think that one I had to use pliers or something, so I <laughs> rolled down the window. And uh, she says, okay, yeah, your front headlight. Yeah, I know. Also, one of your taillights is out. Yeah, and, and the little light over your license plate, apparently that's a thing. That was out. And she said, okay, do you have your insurance license? So I gave her my license. Well, I had one of those. It's a bench seat. And I don't know if you ever had one, but it has the, the cover of the bench seat and there's little pockets in the front, which again, etiquette. Don't go reaching under your seat, right? Whenever, I don't know. That's, but that's where I kept my insurance because... <laughs> The glove compartment is where I kept the, the fireworks. So you can't go into the, into the glove compartment because Phoenix, they're illegal and it's like really legal there, not like here where we just, oh, just go like 500 feet over there and you can shoot them off. You're actually not supposed to have them in, in your possession. And so I'm pulling out pieces of paper and they're all old, you know, because you get the new one and you stuff them in there and you don't take the old one out. I can't find my current in- insurance. And at that time, I think it was an instant $500 fine. And so she's racking up the bill. And uh, she goes, well, why don't you check your glove compartment? And I go, no, it's not in there. <laughs> well, just, just look. And she's shining the light on it. So I reach over and I open it and I start putting my hand under the $500 brick of bottle rockets and over the bottle rockets. And she said, well, what's that? Oh, that's, yeah. And I, you know, I didn't lie. I just, bottle rockets, it's a gross of bottle rockets. And she goes, yeah, you're probably going to need to give those to me. So I hand them to him, and she just doesn't even know what to do with it. And so I go continue to search. Right then, I kid you not, she gets a call for some code that apparently is a worse code <laughs> than whatever my situation was. She, hand, she, she says something, which I don't know, Mike Deakins, whatever the code back is, this says, I'm gonna be going. She looks around with the bottle rockets and it's empty grocery store parking lot. I'm sure this is past midnight, cause I'm the youngest and by then parents don't care as much. And so I'm out and she, she hands it back to me and says, destroy these for me. <laughs> And I did one at a time. I I (laughs) followed her instructions. I had a very big laundry list of things she could have given me uh, a a ticket for. And I got away with, with, with nothing. And as I'm driving away, I'm just thankful uh, but years later, uh, having been pulled over a few more times, I've never actually gotten a speeding ticket. I've been pulled over for speeding lots of times, never actually gotten a ticket, which I probably will now. But it's, 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 it's always the same question. Okay, Is my, do I have a proper response and understanding of authority because I respond well when I get pulled over? Or when I'm driving around all the time doing things I know I'm not supposed to do? And that really kind of clarifies what I wanna talk about this morning is this understanding of how do we respond to authority and what's our view of authority. Because if it's just when I get busted or get convicted of the things I'm not supposed to do that I respond well, does that say, oh, I, I respect authority, I understand, I submit to authority. Well, what about all that time before it when I wasn't getting caught, wasn't getting convicted and just kind of saying, hey, I'm good. So I want to look at, at God's authority in our life. And there's actually, a, and I'm not, I just want to kind of talk about it. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew 8, there's a story of a centurion that comes up to Jesus. He understood authority. He understood how to respond to it and he had a servant that wanted to be healed. And so he went to Jesus and said, I, I recognize authority over sickness in your life. He had seen the signs that Jesus had performed and he had made the connection. You are a person in authority. And if you remember the story, he said, I have the servant, please heal him. And Jesus gets ready to go. And the, and the centurion says, wait, I understand authority. I'm a man under authority and I'm a man who has authority. When I say do this, they do it. You can heal my servant right here. And if you remember, Jesus was astounded at his faith. It was a faith based in an understanding of Jesus's authority, that Jesus was the person in front of him, but he represented so much more authority. He had God's power behind him. He saw the signs that Jesus was doing, stilling the seas, healing the sick, restoring the blind, forgiving sins— And there were people like him that said, who can do that but God? This man, this Jesus, has the authority of God behind him. A little later in Matthew, in chapter 21, verse 23, I believe, a Pharisee walks up and says, by whose authority are you doing these things? Whose authority are you doing these things? They respond to his authority with a question, a challenge. You see, they saw all the same signs. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. These uh, enemies, the religious leaders of the time that eventually uh, manipulated the system to get Jesus crucified, they saw the very same healing. They saw the man born blind. They, saw the, they heard the stories of the storm. They, they saw the lepers being healed. And yet their response is, whose authority? Many of the common people would say, well, who else could heal a blind person, but God. You see, it wasn't that they had a problem recognizing Jesus's authority and power. It's that they had already rejected God's authority in their life before Jesus ever showed up. Before the son ever showed up, they had already rejected God's authority. So Jesus, as he often does, responds with a story and he shares a story of the parable of the tenants, the evil tenants. He He tells a story where there were tenants who worked some land, and the landowner would send servants to collect, you know, when there was a harvest and, and it was his due. And so he would send servants, and they beat up the servants and said, No, we're not giving the money that this own that the landowner is due. And they would send him away. And so he would send more servants and it would escalate. And eventually they started killing the servants. So then the landowner says, I know, I'll send my son for certainly they will listen to my son. Well, what is he really saying? He's saying they will recognize the authority that my son carries. Certainly they'll recognize his authority. But instead, these tenants say, let's take this opportunity to kill the heir, and then we will become heirs. They wanted to supplant his authority. They wanted to take the authority for themselves. Now, that doesn't make any sense from our point of view, and it didn't to the listeners to think, well, why would they suddenly have authority just because they kill the son? That does not take away the authority that God has over their lives. And so, in fact, the consequences of their rejection and of of the owner come to pass, and we learn that they found destruction. They met destruction. As a result, the judgment came down because of their treatment of the messengers, of the servants, and then ultimately the son. Now, the Pharisees and the religious leaders that were listening to Jesus' story understood the story very clearly and understood the point. Because it said they wanted to arrest him right there on the spot. They did not like that Jesus was calling them out. But they were afraid of the crowd because the crowd liked what he was doing in that moment. And so they waited. Now, Paul picks up and alludes to this same exact story in our passage in 1 Thessalonians today. We've been going through 1 Thessalonians. And we've been asking the question of what happens when the gospel takes root. And so we're going to look at one aspect of this in in 1 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 13, and we're just looking at four short verses. But in these four short verses, Paul is going to pick up from Jesus' teaching on our proper response to authority by pointing out that when the gospel takes root... It means that we begin to recognize God's authority in our life, and it begins to change how we live. Now he's gonna give a commendation to this church in Thessalonica that they were responding well to God's authority, but he's gonna condemn the Jewish unbelievers who were doing the very same things that they did to Jesus, to Paul and and the church, that they had been doing with God's messengers throughout the Old Testament. That anytime God would send a prophet to speak authority into their lives, they would reject them, they would persecute them, they would often kill them. Ultimately, when the son himself shows up, they try to supplant God's authority and take it for themselves. And so he is going to, in Old Testament-like fashion, call them out for that. So I want to read it through these four verses, and then we're going to look back and answer that question of what happens when the gospel takes root in our lives as it pertains to authority. So 2.13, and he's going to kind of continue in the same pattern of things that he is grateful for, for the way this church is, uh, is, is carrying out the ministry that he left with them. And he says, and we also thank God... Constantly, Remember, this is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, who were the one of the ones that helped plant this church and, and get it going. And he had sent Timothy back to support them. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So we see a sharp contrast here of differing responses to God's authority in our lives. And so if I'm to ask the question, okay, what happens when the gospel takes root? What happens when, I, when, when the gospel invades my life and it is no longer just something in my rearview mirror that I just glance at every now and then? but something that is a daily grounding in God's word and a grounding in the authority of God in my life that I submit to, what happens? Well, I think the first thing we see is that there's a recognition that occurs. We, I, I recognize God's authority in my life. That's, that's number one. And we're gonna look at really three things that happen and then, a, and then a result. So I recognize God's authority in and over my life. Look, at, look again, and. Uh, up to verse 13, he says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. There was a recognition that when Paul showed up and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, that this was not just some new thought, some new way of life. This was, these were words, but, and they were coming from men, but they were not men's words. Uh, much like the police officer representing a greater entity than the man or the woman, the authority they carry with that badge and the government behind it carries weight. And so when Paul showed up and preached the gospel, there was an authority that they carried that was the words of God and they recognized it. So he commends them and he says, you recognize God's authority over your life. This reminds me of, of what James has to say in, in 417, when he uses the word ought. And this is, uh, many writers, Christian writers have, have over the years have used this term oughtness, and it's not a real word, but it's saying what you ought to do. There's an oughtness to Christianity. There's an oughtness to an understanding of God's authority. These are not suggestions. We do not live under the suggestions of God. We live under the authority of God. And that takes some maturing and some dis- discipline and some understanding, as we know, even with our own children, as they begin to understand, okay, when, when mom and dad is saying something, that wasn't a suggestion. This was, uh, I am under their authority. And, they're, uh, and so I need to recognize that. And so this church is being commended for it. And so the question is, what does it look like for me? Uh, In in James uh, 4, 17, it is said for the, if the Christian sees what he ought to do and doesn't do it, that is sin. Well, sin is anything outside the will of God, the bounds of God going outside of the law, the trans, you know, we are transgressing God's boundaries for our lives. And so if I recognize that and I recognize the oughtness of it, in other words, God, my authority is the one handing this down to me and I ought to do that. Not maybe should I, might do it if I feel like it, I ought to. This is the way I am to live at this point when I begin to recognize God's authority over my life. And so when the gospel takes root, I recognize that. I recognize that the gospel is not the words of men, it's the words of God in my life. And if God has the authority to forgive my sins, he has the authority to own me. I am, I am bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. It is he who lives in me. So I need to first recognize it. The second thing that happens when the gospel takes root as it pertains to authority, there's a recognition and then we need to receive it. We need to receive God's authority. I receive God's daily direction in my life. Again, this is not the gospel in the rearview mirror. This is you know, something I heard when I was in second grade at Iwana. This is something that is a daily occurrence because if the gospel's true, if it's real, then it's real today as much as it was in my past. And if you look again at, at Paul's commendation, he says, when you received the word of God, they accepted it as what it was. They didn't just recognize it, they received it. The third thing is they responded well. So we recognize God's authority, we receive it, but we also need to do that next step and respond with action. Remember what else James says in one, James 1, he says, don't be just a hearer of the word, but a what? A doer of God's word. If God has an authority over your life, then he claims your actions as a result. If God has an authority over my life, Then when he gives me direction in my life, like I'm supposed to pray and love my enemies, that's not optional. I am to respond with action. The question I have for me and for you, though, is what does it say about my view of authority and the gospel? If I do recognize it as such, this is truly God's authority. I I believe this is God's authority for my life, but then I don't respond with action. What does that say about my view of authority? Much like I recognize when I get pulled over, I'm not supposed to have those bottle rockets in my glove compartment, but I'm driving around with them anyway. I'm not gonna tell you what we did with them. We had a lot of fun out in the desert with bottle rockets back in the day, but it was, they were illegal, there's no other way around it. Illegal for a reason in a very dry desert place. But if I'm being real, I just didn't think it mattered to me. And how many things do I read through scripture that I recognize and I say, yeah, that's God has an authority and I've received it as such. But I'm going to not respond in action at this time for that thing that God has brought up in my life. And it may be the Holy Spirit's conviction of you personally, something that, you know, this is something that that he's kind of grabbing at your heart. If there's not a response to take action, the gospel is not being able to take root. And the final thing we see that that he commends this church for is the result of all of this. They experience the result. Well, what is their response? First of all, let's back up because I I didn't go back in verse uh, 14. It says, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So their response and action was that they said, we are going to conduct ourselves in obedience to the word, and we're going to begin to look at, at these other churches, and we're going to see, okay, Paul, this is the way Paul said that we are supposed to carry it out. Now, remember, the Gentile churches didn't have a history like the, uh, the churches in Judea did, where they were Jews that had been converted over to Christianity, who had the whole Old Testament and had Jesus in context of the Old Testament. The Gentiles, when Paul would show up and preach, he would often go to the synagogue to preach to the you know, the Jews that happened to be there, but they would often reject him and he would go down to the marketplace or to the river where he would have a group of Gentiles and he would have to preach the gospel with no context. And if you've ever had to do that, that can be difficult. We are blessed in many ways to be in the Bible belt, even though it can come with some curses. Oh, I've heard, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard it a gazillion times, but it's a very different situation when you need to run into someone that says, Jesus, I've never heard of him. Right? And so he would, he would take that opportunity and, and present the gospel and go all the way through scripture and, 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 and teach from the Old Testament to these people that didn't know God at all. And so when they became believers, their response and action was to say, okay, if God was the God of the Old Testament, if God is the God of Israel, then we need to look at that and start to say, okay, these, these churches over in Judea, what are they doing? And they began to model this structure. Well, the result experience that we have, right? The result that comes out of that is they experience persecution, just like they did in Judea. The churches in Judea did from the Jews. This church in Thessalonica was, res, was receiving persecution from other Gentiles, their countrymen. So that, that may be, you would say, oh, that's the result. I don't want that result. What we're really seeing the result is, is their endurance of hardship cuz look at what it, as we read this it says for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews remember this is a church that is experiencing ministry success they're growing uh, both numerically and uh, personally they're they're deep they're going from never having heard of Jesus to To preaching the gospel themselves and their reliance on the gospel and their understanding of God's authority in their life. And now they're enduring hardship for it and they're doing it with peace and joy and love. And that's the result. They're experiencing the result of the gospel being planted in their life, recognizing God's authority in their life, receiving it, responding in action, and then saying, hey, I don't like, I don't like the persecution we're getting from it, but we are responding and we're the result result for us is joy despite it. And maybe you've seen that in your own life. What is the result in your life that you have experienced by giving leadership over to God? What happens? What do you see grow When you recognize God's authority in your life and you respond in action and you begin to actually take steps of faith, you begin to see God show up. You begin to see the fruit grow. Maturity, you find that you can actually withstand things and endure things with peace and joy that you never thought you could. And people take note around you right? People begin to come up to you and you have an answer for the hope that is within you. When people question you and say, how in the world are you still upright in the midst of this? How are you still having faith in God when this has happened to you? And you can give testimony and point to Jesus at that time. Now, the contrasts that we see are these unbelieving Jews, because he also answers the question of what happens if I don't allow the gospel to take root. Well, what happens if, the, if I don't let the gospel take root, if I don't recognize God's authority? Well, the first thing is yeah, I, I reject God's authority in my life. I ignore his daily leaving, leading. I remain unchanged. Ultimately, then, receiving the result, which is the consequences of my sin. And that's what he says about the unbelieving Jews. And, in, in uh, 14, 15, and 16 it says, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Now, these last two verses if you were to go read and, and look on it, there, there's many people that recently have decided this couldn't have come from Paul for a couple of reasons. One, they, they would say either Paul didn't write this, it was added later, or this is just has nothing to do with verse 13 and, and 14. They would say 15 and 16 are different. But if you read them all within the context of Matthew 21, of Jesus's story about how the, the tenants killed the messengers and then the son, and then you see him, Paul bringing up they killed the prophets, they killed Jesus himself, and now they're hindering us, you see that this is all about their lack of recognition and response, proper response to God's authority. And now they are about to reap the consequences of it. And and that really brings us to those last few phrases that people have had issue with. One is, but wrath has come upon them at last. Now, if you're reading NIV or a few others, it says wrath of God. It doesn't actually say wrath of God in in the Greek. It just says wrath. There's an implication that this wrath is from God. And so they filled in the gaps for you. You can be the judge of whether that was a wrong call or not. Um, Mine just simply says wrath. And I think there's a reason why Paul doesn't specifically say wrath of God, because later in the book, he does call out the wrath of God. And he says, this is the wrath of God come upon the earth. God uses the natural consequences of our lives to discipline, to judge. And didn't he do that so often with the nation of Israel? Their pride would build up, and then another, he would use Egypt, would let Him come up and kind of take pieces away from them, and then Assyria, and then Babylon. And it says that at the same time that he was raising up these countries, he was doing so, so that they might be of use for him to discipline Israel for the big picture things because he wanted to see a people that would raise up the Messiah to take away the sins of the world. And so he had more things on that chessboard than Israel. He had the entire planet and he's moving all these countries around. Well, here you see a phrase, but wrath has come upon them at last and its present tense, if you'll notice. Well, This book was written before what most people believe Jesus was referring to in Matthew 21, when he walks, when he says that destruction would come upon Jerusalem. And that was 70 AD. If you know your history, you know that Rome comes and completely desolates the temple and all of Jerusalem and scatters the people. And and basically the nation of Israel ceases to exist from that point until 1948. And so when Jesus was walking around with his disciples and, he, and, and they say, oh, look at this great temple. And he says, yeah, but pretty soon there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And they were shocked that in fact, that was one of the reasons they were indicting him to kill him was because he was threatening the nation. He was threatening the temple. he was saying he's going to destroy this temple. He was, of course, talking about his own body. But it hadn't happened yet. That happens in 70 A.D. and Paul says, "Wrath has come." Now, there's a a few things we can do with this. If you remember when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, he had a one-phrase sermon. What was it? The kingdom of heaven is at hand or near, depending on which one you're reading, right? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus shows up, he picks up the same phrase. He says, "The kingdom of heaven is at hand." What does that mean? Okay, if the kingdom of heaven is, was there when Jesus showed up the first time, well, it's a pretty messed up kingdom, right? Because I don't know if you're living in the same planet I'm living on, but things are not put to rest. There are promises not kept. And we understand that when you read scripture, there are promises to Israel that have not been kept, promises to us that have not been kept because they haven't come to complete fulfillment yet. Now, this book is really couched in end times discussion. When you get to chapter four and five, when we get there, there's going to be a lot about the wrath of God that will come upon the entire world as well as the nation of Israel. So when Jesus shows up and says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's an idea and a concept that is, that is thought of when it comes to biblical understanding of God's kingdom of it's, it's said already, not yet. Maybe you've heard that term, but when Jesus shows up, he's there, it's ready, it's launched. But the complete fulfillment comes later in a second coming. And so there's this bracket, right? That, that happens between the, the two things. And there's all different disagreement about how all the are going to work. And that's not what I'm here to talk about. But when Paul says wrath has come at last, it's using that same spirit of understanding that this is, there's a certainty to the consequences of continual rejection of God's authority in your life. And when, the the unbelieving Jews have continued to say no to God's authority in their life to the point of killing the son when he shows up, that Jesus's promise that destruction will come is a certainty. That when Jesus said no stone will remain on top of another, Paul is claiming that to say wrath is like a bowl and it's filled up to measure. And as Peter says, just because God is slow in acting does not mean he is not there and he's not going to return. And so we as believers that recognize authority, we take encouragement to that. And we know one day God will come back and shore up accounts that all the evil and all the people that have rejected God, that there will be a consequence to that. And at the same time, when I am walking in submission, there will be results from my obedience and, growth. and so there's this contrast of these two different people. And so I do believe, this is Paul writing, and I do believe that these verses all go together within the context of authority. And so I can read these words and I can think, okay, there's some warnings here that I should really listen to. And, and, and I say all that to say, if, if you're in this room and this idea of recognizing God's authority in your life is, is not a present reality, I would call you to that. I would call you to respond to the gospel message that Christ came to provide an opportunity for you to have your sins forgiven, which is the only thing the, the only God can do. We, we cannot just turn over new leaves. We can't just try another self-help book. Our core problem is our sin. And if you have not yet come to terms with God's authority in your life, that oughtness concept, maybe today is the day that you can call out to him and say, yeah, I've been trying to do this thing on my own authority. Like the wicked tenants, I've heard message after message of what Jesus offers me and I continue to reject it. Maybe today is the day that you say, okay, I want to take you up on that offer of forgiveness. And as, as Chris comes up, as they, as they play, it's, it's a simple matter of you speaking that back to God, that desire of your heart to say back to God and pray to him. Say, I acknowledge your authority and recognize your authority in my life, and I want to follow after you. I want to respond in action by, in faith, trusting you with my life. And if you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to do that in these last two songs that we're going to sing together. Let me pray. God, you are faithful. You are just, you are loving. You are all these things, all of them, all the time. And you speak into our lives. You are not content to leave us as we are. You see broken people that you want to have a relationship with. So you step into our lives, you provide guidance, you give direction. The Holy Spirit has been given. And now we walk in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We walk in a partnership and an understanding that you desire to see yourself glorified and to see us live an abundant life. So I pray for those of us that are followers of you, that maybe have a difficult time keeping the gospel at the forefront and not just glancing at it in the rearview mirror. Pray that we'd have a proper response and understanding of your authority in our lives. And I pray for those here that have yet to recognize you as an authority in their life, to recognize that there is an abundant life, a result of peace and joy that comes when we finally set things right with us and God, when we finally come to Him and seek forgiveness and seek his leadership and put him at the head of our hearts. I pray for that even now that there could be those that would call out to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We'll stand together.
2: Be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. You're the center of the universe. Everything was made center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. Oh, Christ, be the center of our eyes to heaven. Look for and his one.
0: for being here today. Have a great week.